Okay. So let's uh, turn in your Bibles to Matthew 24. And we did, uh, for those of you who were here, we read the passage today that we have before us. I must confess I'm not used to standing in front of a mic, but there you go. I feel like it's going to attack me or something. No, okay. Um, so God, God has a plan for this world. And uh, he knows exactly what's going to happen. And he's told us in the Bible a lot of what's going to happen in the world from, from this date forward. And uh, we refer to this as future events and time events. And our passage today, Matthew 24, verses 1 to 31, is one of the many passages that speaks to the future. For example, there are at least 19 chapters in the book of Revelation that also speak to events that we've not yet seen on this earth. And a number of passages in Paul's writings. So I say that because in the time that I have before me, I'm not going to be able to talk about all that the Bible has to say about end times. And I'm very conscious that I have in our audience today, we have people, brothers and sisters, who know a lot about biblical prophecy. And I'm also conscious that there are people here who don't even know much about the Bible, let alone biblical prophecy. So I don't want to lose either of you in my speaking today. And that's my challenge. But uh, with God's help, we'll look at this passage and we'll ask the Lord to enlighten us and feed us. I'll try to keep it simple and drill down a little bit and then come back to simple things so that we all get something. So here's the other challenge. <laughs> Turn it on. That's a good start. Thank you. I even have a hard time turning things on. There we go. Whoop. Got a shake, so that must work. There we go. So, three main points. Signs. In our passage, Jesus talks about signs. Signs of signs of the, the end of the age and of his coming. So we're going to look at the signs. We're also going to look at, from this passage, the abomination of desolation. What in the world is that? The abomination of desolation. An abomination was something that was really hard for people in that day to think of. And Jesus speaks to the abomination of desolation as referenced in Daniel. So there's a very specific, and a very specific idea in mind. And then we'll look at the Lord's glorious return. We have some affirmations in this passage that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return bodily and uh, physically, and the whole world will see him. Okay? This is what he says. We read it in verse 30. Uh, verse 30. The sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with power and great glory. So, the Lord is coming back. Now, just to uh, put things into some context here as we look at this passage, we're going to follow the text closely, but just before we do that, I'm going to put up a little chart just to situate this teaching, if you can read that chart, uh, in relation to <clears throat> end times and what we teach at the Read of Your Bible Chapel and what we believe. We believe in the 
pre-tribulation, premillennial return of the Lord Jesus. And the first event on that chart is the rapture. The Bible teaches that the Lord is going to come back for his people, for us who are here, and we will go to be with the Lord. And I'll speak to that a little bit in a second. And then at some point after the church is taken out of the way, the Antichrist that we read of, in, uh, particularly in the book of Revelation, will sign a covenant with the nation of Israel. And this will start a seven-year tribulation period on this earth, referred to as Daniel's 70th week. And then halfway through that seven-year period, the Antichrist breaks the covenant with Israel and sets himself up to be worshipped in the tribulation temple. And Jesus refers to this as the abomination of desolation. And then towards the end of that seven-year period, Israel will acknowledge their sin of rejecting the Lord Jesus and turn to him. And at that point, he'll return to the earth. And then the Lord will reign on this earth for 1,000 years, millennial kingdom, after which God will destroy the heavens and the earth and create a new heavens and a new earth and the eternal state. So, you follow that? <laughs> There's a lot right there, isn't it? That's just to situate us. Let's talk a little bit about the rapture before we get into our text here. I have Matthew 24. The rapture is what I referred to that concerns us as Christians. You remember that as Christians, we believe the Lord Jesus Christ came to this earth, the eternal Son of God, sinless, born of a virgin, lived an impeccable life. He died on the cross. He suffered for the sins of the whole world. And because he's the infinite Son of God, his suffering was enough to pay for the sins of the whole world. And then he died, he was buried, and he rose again from the dead. We don't see that that often, do we? He rose again from the dead. He was resurrected. And he, was, he showed himself to a number of people. And then he, 40 days later, he ascended into heaven. 50 days later, he sent the Holy Spirit. And we can read about this in 1 Corinthians 15, amongst other places. And Paul refers to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and says, as Christians, we believe in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And so we also believe that we too will be resurrected. And this is what the rapture is. The dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive will go to be with the Lord. So this is if we believe the gospel, if we believe that Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead, we can believe that he's going to raise us to be with him too. It's part of our belief. And so in First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 and 18, we read this. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51 to 53, we read, Behold, I will tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So this is what awaits those of us who know the Lord Jesus as our personal Savior. 
And there's nothing. Um, this could happen right now. There are no signs that we're waiting for for the rapture. Could happen before I finish speaking. Could happen tonight, next week. There's nothing that has to be fulfilled in Scripture for the rapture to happen. So I trust everybody here today knows the Lord is your Savior. Because if the Lord comes today and you don't know him as your Savior, if you're not born again, then you'll, be, you'll stay here and we'll be gone. That's the, the rapture. Now our passage today, turn, turn with me in your Bibles back to Matthew 24. And we read in verse 1 that Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. So we can, we can envisage the situation here. The disciples, they were, they were impressed by the temple. And this was Herod's temple. It was a great structure. It took uh, some uh, took a long time to build. At this point, the temple compound began under Herod the Great in 20 BC. It was not finished until AD 64. And so the Olivet Discourse was in AD 30. The building of the temple had gone on for some 50 years, with another 34 years to go. It was a very impressive structure, and we can imagine the, the disciples saying to the Lord Jesus, you know, when are we going to run this place? When is that going to be ours? They were impressed by the building. And the Lord said, look, this temple is going to be destroyed. And uh, every stone will be torn and will be taken down. And as a matter of fact, what happened was when the Romans came in, came in in AD 70 and they, they leveled the city and they burnt the temple, the gold melted, went between the stones, and the Romans, to recuperate the gold, they moved every stone to get the gold that had hardened between the stones. So Jesus' prophecy came true. But then he says, and the disciples say, okay, what about uh, when is the end of the age going to come? And when will these things happen? In verse 3, he said he, they were outside of Jerusalem. He had departed from Jerusalem not to go back And uh, in that context. Then he sat on the, departed from the temple. Rather. He sat on the Mount of Olives, and the disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us, when are these things going to be? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And then we're going to get into our text about signs. Okay? So Jesus is going to give them some signs about his coming. And, of course, it was very hard for the disciples. It's hard for us to put ourselves in their position because they were 2,000 years later, right? They didn't, they, I think they were catching on that the Lord was going to die, but they couldn't really understand that the church age and being um, going on for 2,000 years. But he tells them all the same, the signs of his coming. Now keep in mind that these signs specifically are for the Jewish nation because we're not going to be here. We're not going to be here for this period, which we refer to as the tribulation. I'll explain as we go along. Some of these signs we see already today, but there will come a point 
that we read in, in 2 Thessalonians that he who restrains will be taken away when, when we leave, um, the earth is going to change dra drastically because the evil nature of man will have free course and a lot of things will happen during that seven-year tribulation period. And these are the signs that we read about. Now, I have a chart. You see it on the wall or on the screen. I see it on the wall. Uh, there's an amazing parallel between what we read here in Matthew 24 and Revelation chapter 6. And we're going to look at that together. Now, <clears throat> I have a fond memory of this notion of signs. Many years ago, I was uh, in, at Parkside Ranch in, in uh, Quebec and coming into Montreal every day for a couple of weeks. And there was a young man, this was before I was married, a young man with me who was from Texas. And uh, he said to me on the, on the way in one day, he said, this sortie place must be a really big city. Where, where, where's sortie? I said, what do you mean? He says, well, every exit's going to sortie. Yeah, it was pretty funny. It stuck in my mind because he, he wasn't used to bilingualism. I don't know if he was just pulling my leg or if he was just... And I uh, said, so no, no, that means exit in French. But, you know, every, every exit sign had sortie on it. He said, well, sortie must be big. I never heard of sortie. But, but we, know, we know what signs are, right? A sign just points us to uh, what's going to come. So let's read our text first a little bit. In, in verse 4, <clears throat> we read this. He says, take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I'm the Christ, and many will deceive you. Okay, well, we've had a lot of false Christs, and there's going to be more and more false Christs. And he said, you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled, for all these things will come to pass, but the end is not yet. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places, and all these are the beginning of sorrows, he says. So the beginning of sorrows, the word's actually birth pangs. And, and, uh, and women who have given birth will know the whole scenario about contractions. They get stronger and closer together. And this is what's going to happen here. But if you think of it, this year, what have we had? This year we've, had, we've got a war going on in Ukraine. We've had the pandemic. And uh, we had a major earthquake in Turkey. 50,000 people dead in a week. So these things are coming even now. He says this is just the beginning. So those are some of the signs. Now, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6. And I'm going to read for you... While you turn there, I'm going to read for you a couple of verses from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We read this, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth, and so on. So, <clears throat> when the church leaves, the Holy Spirit will still be at work in this world. But a lot of restraints will be gone. And things are going to break loose. And so we're going to see here in Revelation chapter 4, Revelation chapter 6 rather, we see the first, um, we see the first sign is a false messiah. 
And during the tribulation period, we have here in Revelation chapter 6 what we call the four horses of the apocalypse. Maybe you've heard that term. The first horse is a white horse. In verse uh, 3, I looked and behold a white horse, and he who sat on it had a, had a bow, no arrows, just a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. This was the Antichrist, false Christ, who rules the world during the first part of the tribulation. And then we go down, we have another, uh, we have wars. And we have the red horse in verse 4 of chapter 6 of Revelation. Another horse, fiery red, went out, was granted to him who sat on it to take away peace from the earth. And people would kill each other. So during the tribulation, there's going to be a lot of wars. And then we have the third, uh, we have famines, right? Look at the third horse. I looked, and behold, a black horse who sat on had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius and so on. They were running out of food. So there's famine during the tribulation period. And then we have death, pestilence, the fourth horse, a pale horse. The name who sat on it was death and Hades followed him. And power was given to him over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and hunger death and beasts of the earth and so on. So it's a wonderful thing that if we're saved, we're not going to be living through this. But those who are left, this is what's going to happen on this earth during the tribulation period. And why would God do this? Why would God do this? Because God wants to shake people up. God wants to convince people that they should turn to him. And God wants Israel to recognize that Jesus was the Messiah. So in fact, it's, it's by the grace of God that God allows these things to happen and God does it. We saw that it was the Lamb who opened up these seals. Now let's, <clears throat> keeping in Matthew chapter 24, we read in verse 9 that they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you and you'll be hated by all nations. Let's look at Revelation chapter 6 again. And uh, we read in Revelation chapter 6, verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, and holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? So these are people who come to know the Lord during the tribulation, but they're martyrs, right? They're delivered up. And then we have, um, we have uh, in Revelation chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, it's a very interesting few verses there. This is, as the tribulation period goes on, we see in verse, um, starting with verse 9, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, all of all nations and tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne, and so on. And then we go to verse 13, and one of the elders answered, saying to me, who are these arrayed in white robes, and where did they come from? And I said to him, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation, washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb, and so on. So these are people who come to know the Lord, during the tribulation period. Many will come to know the Lord during the tribulation period. 
that's not to encourage anybody to put off coming to know the Lord, because those who know the Lord and refuse it, they'll be deceived. But there will be people in this world who don't know as much and haven't rebelled as much, and they'll come to know the Lord during that time. And they potentially will die for their faith. So we have uh, people delivered up. And then we have many false prophets, false prophets during this. These are the signs that the Jewish people during this tribulation period will recognize that the end of the world is coming. False prophets. Turn with me, please, to Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13. In Revelation chapter 13, we have the story of the, the first beast, who's the Antichrist, and then the, the second beast, who's the false prophet. It's false prophet par excellence. What does he do? In uh, chapter 13, we read verse 14, and he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived, and so on. So this is the false prophet. And then we read that many false prophets will rise up. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. The love of many will grow cold. I have a reference here for Revelation chapter 9, verse 20. Uh, during this tribulation period, we read in verse 20, But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, and that they should not worship demons or idols of gold, and so on. And they did not repent of their murders or sorceries or sexual immorality or, or their thefts. So life will be extremely difficult on this earth during that period. And then we read that he who endures to the end shall be saved. In... Uh, Revelation chapter 7, once again, we have this beautiful picture of the, the 144,000 who are sealed by God to preach the gospel. And then we see that there are those who are martyrs. We turn over to Revelation. Uh, let me see my text here. Revelation 15. Revelation 15. Another interesting text. We're drilling down here a little bit. Uh, verses 2 to 4. They sing the song of Moses and of the servant and of the lamb and so on. So these are people who, excuse me, we'll go back to Revelation 14. We have the 144,000. Again, they, sing, they sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures. And they, so the, the 144,000 people have been preserved through the tribulation period, and they're singing to God. And then we have others in Revelation 15 as well who are singing to God. So a number of people during the tribulation will be faithful to God, and they will uh, praise God. Many will become martyrs. In Revelation 14, in Matthew 24, we go back, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Uh, we have in 
Revelation chapter 7, this notion of the 144,000. They are from, uh, Revelation 14 explains who they are. They're chosen of God, sealed by God, 144,000 from the 12 tribes of Israel uh, who are dedicated, sealed by God to preach the gospel. And they do that. And we read about their success. And then we read in verse, in chapter 14, how the Lord has kept them through the tribulation period. And just going quickly, because I see our time is going by really fast. Uh, in Revelation chapter 11, we have the two witnesses we're witnessing. In Revelation 14, one really special verse, verse 6. I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. So God will have his means of preaching the gospel to those who are here during the tribulation period, and many will come to know him. Now, it's 5 to 12, and we have potluck and we have the AGM. And uh, I'm just getting started. But uh, <clears throat> I'm reminded of uh, Dwight Eisenhower, it's quoted as saying, plans are useless, but planning is indispensable. So I'm going to have to put my plans aside, and, but it was a good thing I thought through this. And we're not going to be able to get through my three points or all the message. But I will say one thing about the abomination of desolation, because we read this in verse 15. The abomination of desolation, what is this? Well, there's a reference to, uh, I'll just read it for you. And Daniel 11, verse 31, And the forces shall be mustered by him, and they shall defile the sanctuary fortress, and they'll take it away, and the daily sacrifices and place there the abomination of desolation. Daniel predicted what was going to happen. This is a historical event that came through. The phrase was originally referred to to the desecration of the temple by Antiochus Epiphanes, the king of Syria, in the second century B.C. He invaded Israel in 168 B.C., and he made an altar. Into a, into a shrine to Zeus and even sacrificed pigs on it in the temple. So this was, this was an abomination, and this happened. And I believe some, if I'm not mistaken, some 100,000 Jewish people were killed at that time. So this was a historical event. And in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, and Daniel chapter 12, verse 11, we read that this is going to happen again. And Daniel 9.27, we read this. Oops. There we go. We read this. He shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, and in the middle of the week he shall bring forth an end of the sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate. And even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. So this abomination of desolation is going to happen again. And the, the, the long and the short of it, I'll just give you a brief summary, is that the Antichrist will set himself up in the temple to be worshipped. We read this in Revelation 13, in the, in the tribulation temple. And uh, so this is yet to come. And we can read about it in the book of Revelation. We can read about it in Paul's writings, particularly in 2 
Thessalonians. And, um, but our time is fleeting and our time is gone. So I'm going to just uh, curtail my thoughts in Matthew 24, the second part. I'll just give you a hint here. You're going to read that the, essentially, he tells the Jewish people to head for the hills. It's very interesting. If you go to Revelation chapter 12, read in verse 6, verses 13 to 17, you'll get the exact same description of how Israel goes to the hills. And so these, these is parallel texts. And then a couple of key verses in Zechariah, God's purpose in the tribulation. Um, Israel, at some point, will turn to Christ. I think I will just read those verses. Zechariah, it's very important. Zechariah chapter 12. And we read uh, in verse 10 of Zechariah chapter 12, And I'll pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they'll mourn for him as one who mourns for his only son. So at some point Israel will turn to Christ. And then in, in Zechariah 13 verses uh, 8 and 9, and it shall come to pass in all the land, says the Lord, that two-thirds in it shall be cut off and die, but one-third shall be left in it. And I will bring the one-third through the fire and will refine them as silver is refined and test them as gold is tested. And they will call on my name and I'll answer them. And I'll say, this is my people. And each one will say, the Lord is my God. And so on. So at some point, Israel will turn to Christ. And then we'll look at, if we go back to Matthew 24, and the last verse of Matthew 23 says this, when the Lord uh, laments over Jerusalem, he says this, For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So Israel is going to turn to Christ. They're going to say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And at that point, we have the coming of the Son of Man, and he'll return to Put to the end of the Antichrist and rule, set up his kingdom from Jerusalem, and every eye will see him. And that's different from the rapture. It's different from the rapture. We'll be with Christ, we'll be taken away, and we're going to come back with him. But it's way too much to explain in the, in the one minute I have left. So we're just going to leave it there. And if, I hope it's whet your appetite. I hope I didn't confuse too many people. But uh, the Bible text is there. It will be my pleasure to talk about this with anybody. And I encourage you to, to read these things. God has a plan. And when we see the world in turmoil, we see everything that's happened, we should be reassured that God is in control. And God is holding the world together. You know, it's a miracle the world gets along as well as we do, if you think of it. Why is it? Because God... Everything consists in him. He's holding it together. But at some point, he's going to say, okay, we're done. Church is going to be lifted up and gone. And then the world, for a period of seven years, he's going to limit it to seven years, will 
go through a lot of his judgments and uh, his, his care of it, and people will turn to Christ, and, and the Jewish leaders will turn to Christ, and he'll come back to set up his kingdom. So I trust everybody here knows the Lord. I trust you'll be part of the rapture, and we can be reassured that the events in this world, as we see them today, are not out of his control. He has a plan. Let's pray. Our blessed God and Heavenly Father, we're thankful for your love for each and every one of us. We're thankful that <clears throat> your scripture is there for us to study. We're thankful that you help us. And we see that uh, you have a plan for this world. And you've opened it up to us a little bit. Perhaps we don't have all the details. We don't know when some of these things are happening. But we can see in the world today that things are getting ready for this final stage. And so, Father, we just commit ourselves to you. Bless your word to our hearts. In his precious name I pray. Amen.